You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gccugene.org. Building projects require a blueprint, a picture of the finished product, something to consistently reference during construction, a goal to work towards, a guide to follow. But what is the blueprint for the church? What picture is the reference for God's people? What is the guide for the Christian life? Jesus promises to build his church, but how? The blueprint for the church isn't a list of policies and procedures. It's not a plan for elaborate sanctuaries and classrooms, and it's not tips and tricks for increasing church attendance and budget. The blueprint for the church is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus, who is equal to God. Jesus, who became a servant. Jesus, who died a sinner's death, though he was innocent. Jesus, who God resurrected and highly exalted. Jesus, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess, he is Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a picture of humility and glory, a cross and a crown, sacrifice and exaltation, and it is the finished work Paul points to in the letter to the Philippians. It's the picture he looks to as he lives his life. It's the reference the Philippians followed to shape their church. The gospel is the blueprint we have to live our lives and build Christ's church. Good morning, Gospel Community Church. Good morning, yes. Um, my name is Ian Wheeler. Uh, I am the worship director here at Gospel Community Church, uh, and I have the privilege and the honor uh, to open the word with you this morning as we bring a conclusion to our series in Philippians. So uh, that amazing video that we've got to see for quite a few months now, uh, we won't see it again, but uh, thankful for the team that put it together. Uh, every morning, it's a great reminder of, uh, yeah, just what this book's about in our series that Paul has laid out, what it looks like for a believer to live a life that is shaped by the gospel. So as we bring that to a conclusion, that theme's going to ring true. Uh, after we finish this series, there's going to be one week where we're going to do a standalone series. Um, uh, then we're going to move into the book of Romans. So Brad mentioned it last week, but uh, we would highly suggest that you guys dive into the book of Romans. Uh, personally, that book has offered a lot of comfort and answers to me uh, when I was a young believer and still growing now. Every time I turn to the book um, I'm just met with the truth of the gospel and the way that Paul handles uh, the difficult questions that we face living in a sinful, broken world, uh, but with a hope of glory to come from what Christ has done. So this morning, uh, one small note before we dive in here. Uh, this last section, so we're going to be in Philippians 4, verses 14 through 23. Um, I'm actually going to be pe preaching from a different translation uh, this morning. So normally we preach from the ESV uh, on Sunday mornings. Um, but this specific morning, uh, I would like to preach from the NASB. I believe that it offers some clarity, uh, more so uh, than the other translation, just with some of the words that are chosen and the way that we're going to dive into this text today. Um, you may ask why that is or how translations go. I would love to dive into that more with you if you had questions after service. But put succinctly, uh, there's a methodology that is brought to translating the Bible. Some are going to be more thought for thought, where they're going to take a thought of a passage and they're going to try to bring that into modern English uh, using analogies or more of a thought for thought translation. And then you're going to have the other side of that spectrum where you're going to have a more word for word translation. 
Uh, This morning, we're going to be reading from and preaching from the NASB, which is a very word-for-word translation from the Greek into English. Um, It's also important to note that these translations are not based off of one another. Uh, We're using original manuscripts, and each uh, translation that happens comes from those same manuscripts. So it's not a game of telephone where one is adding to another, and we end up with some Bible that is not trusted. Um, So wanted to to reiterate that before we dive in, but we're going to read from Philippians 4 now, verses 14 through 23. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I met or I left Macedonia, no church shared with me the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself but that I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Ephroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. Now to the God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time and the space to gather, Lord. Uh, Thankful for Gospel Community Church and, uh, Lord, all of the friendships and community that we experience here. Uh, We're thankful, Lord, for uh, the commitment to the gospel, Lord, that we have heard about in the songs that we've sang this morning. We've heard about in the announcements that we've uh, were received. Um, Lord, that your gospel shapes our lives. We exalt you, Lord, and we live lives changed off of that. I pray that we would understand clearly, Lord, your truth from this text this morning, Lord, um, and that your spirit would work in us to both convict and to comfort. Uh, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, we've been walking through the book of Philippians. Last week, Brad preached on contentment. Uh, He read some uh, verses and then finished with uh, a very well-known piece of scripture uh, that talks about Paul's contentment and the gospel, that he could face any situation in life, the highs and the lows, through the strength of Christ and the foundation of that. And it's from that that he has contentment. And it's the only way that a human can experience contentment contentment. It is trusting and having faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and that he makes us a new creation. We have a new identity, we have a new imagination, and a new purpose and new priorities. And as we move into today's verses, Paul is going to continue his line of thinking. We're going to see that he actually marries contentment with action, and that action being giving. So verse 14 that we mentioned earlier or that we read earlier, is going to act as a hinge between these two. So we've got this section on contentment. He ends it saying, I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. And then he goes into verse 14 where he says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. So as we go through both of these, kind of the main point of this sermon is going to be, with contentment in Christ, we are free to, live, to give our lives away. So contentment in Christ allows us to give our lives away. So back to verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. As we said, this verse is placed between these two sections of Scripture to kind of stitch together 
what Paul has said above and what he's going to continue his thought on. What Paul's essentially saying is, although I find my strength in Christ, it is a good thing that you have shared with me. And this verse is here for a purpose because Paul wants to correct wrong thinking. We'll see this lots of times as we move to Romans and in all of Paul's writings. He's quick to give a truth. And then right after that truth, he'll say, nevertheless, or but, or hold on a minute before your heart takes one thing out of context and tries to find an easy road out. Listen to what he has to say. So we'll see this in Romans 6, verses 12 through 15. It says, let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul does it here in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He says, by no means. And this is a call to us today as well. Paul warns to think that because people find their contentment in Christ, it excludes the need for community. Paul's actually going to continue to dive into that more, that it's a great thing that this church has decided to partner with him in his ministry. Although he finds his contentment in Christ, it does not exclude the need for people to come alongside him. So my question would be, do we share with our brothers and sisters in Christ, both the highs and the lows in Christ? You may say yes to that question, or you may say no. Um, I would say many that say yes could continue to grow in that. And we do that because it requires some effort from our, our side of things. It requires two things, namely one, that we must be aware of the highs and lows in people's lives, meaning we have proximity with them and we understand the things that they're going through, the highs that they experience in life, maybe an engagement or a new job or a new baby. Um, and we get to celebrate with them in a way that, that uh, we would not be able to if we didn't know what was going on. Or the flip side of that, maybe there's difficulties in life. Maybe there's a tough medical diagnosis or you lose your job or you lose a child through a miscarriage. It's in those moments that we need just as we do when life's going well to have community around us. We can stay firm in the contentment that Christ offers, but we lean into our brothers and sisters and we see that Christ actually uses those around us to bring about that contentment that he offers. So my first two challenges would be, this week, do something for someone. It doesn't take much. Maybe it's a cup of coffee in the morning with someone that you're close with. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a letter. That's, that's something that's impacted me when someone takes the time to write a letter uh, about the friendship that we have or, uh, send, or just give me a call. Um, it goes a long way when people take a moment to step out and engage. The second thing, so first, do something for someone. Two, share your life. So this is from both sides. Someone who is giving and then from inside, you giving to someone. So share your life. On Sunday mornings during the greeting time that we spend, or a GC group, open up. Life is tough. It's refreshing to hear people talk about the challenges of life, whether that's work or our Christian faith, to live in a sinful world where Satan is trying to stir up discontentment in our lives. If we share that with one another, we're not alone. God doesn't take any time uh, to bring that truth 
uh, to us. If we read on page one of Scripture, we see that right away God says that it is not good for humans to be alone. And that's one of the most powerful tools that Satan uses to isolate us and make us feel like we're alone. Community fights directly against that. So share your life with one another. That's how we can do this. And this next verse is, as we continue walking through, we're going to see that Paul is celebrating a church that has put into action the call of the gospel that he's preached. Take one more pause here before we dive into the next verse. I want to explain. Uh, We're going to see the word giving show up a lot in this section. And I want us to expand our mind uh, a little bit on what it means to give. Often we go straight to the financial gift, which I think that is one of the implications to be taken away from this text as they talk about this gift that the church has given Paul. But I also think it's really important that we think about two other aspects of giving. One, giving of our time. So service, service on Sundays, service as GC leaders, service as friends to one another. And then two, giving ourselves. So giving of time and then giving ourselves, opening up to one another in a way that actually allows sin to be brought forward and to be talked about. So as we go through this, I'll try to do my best to remind us of that, to not think only giving, but that there's other ways that the Christian is called to give. So let's get to verse 15 here. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So unlike the other churches that heard the gospel, not only did you act, but you continued to faithfully give. And remember the context of what's happening here. Paul's in prison on his way to execution. So for a church to partner with Paul is a sacrifice. It's not an easy thing for this church to just send some money and say, all right, Paul's covered. No, they continually joined in with Paul, in essence saying, we're with you and we're with you until the end. And from this big risk, I think, is where we see the theme of contentment continue through this section. In order for a church to, Paul, to partner with Paul, they must exercise contentment. And in reality, as I've thought about it, I think anyone that gives a gift of anything must be content. And we may not think about it in those terms, but that it is actually contentment that allows us to give. This doesn't mean that we always have surplus, although that may be the case, but rather that we are content with the consequences of that gift. We are content with the sacrifice or the, call, the, the cost that we incur. Now, I'm convinced that this group of believers, this church that Paul is talking to, more so than any other church, understood that con- the contentment that Paul described earlier in chapter 4. They knew whatever the cost, Christ's strength would be enough. So they gave and they continued to give. And this is the natural progression of a Christian wrestling in contentment. We have been given so much in Christ. When we understand that and our eyes begin to be peeled back from our own levels of uh, the, the structure that we place in our life. If I, if I get this or if I'm here, then I'll be content. When we realize what Christ has given, our natural inclination is to give to others. So what areas in our lives are we struggling with giving? We all have battles with our flesh. We act on our vision of what brings contentment versus what Christ commands. Do we struggle with giving ourselves? Are we afraid to open up 
afraid of what people will think about us. If you only knew the sins that I've committed, you wouldn't accept me. If you only knew the thoughts I had about those around me or the thoughts I had about myself. I pray that we look at the identity that Christ has given us as Christians for contentment. Pulling back and hiding ourselves is the opposite of what Christ has called the Christian to. His unchanging love and affections for us offer contentment that this life can't understand, giving us the freedom to share our lives and live it to the fullest. Do we struggle with giving our time? Maybe I'm too busy, or I'm not qualified, or I have better things to do. I pray we reflect on the purpose of our life as Christ followers, to follow Christ, to emulate what he's done. Loving God and neighbor sacrificially, it is through this purpose that we live life to the fullest, sacrificing our time and our energy for the service of others. It is actually through that act that we begin to understand Christian contentment. Is it giving money? Maybe I think I don't have enough or that others will take care of it. I pray we look to God's provision in our life for contentment, that Christ has provided so much, yet we create standards for our contentment beyond what Christ has given. The Lord will provide, and he uses his church to do that as well. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are here to help if we answer the call of giving. Paul, again, in verse 17 here, is going to correct wrong thinking. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but that I seek the profit which increases to your account. Paul wants to guard against misunderstanding, not that he wants gifts or he wants people to continue giving him things. No, we'll see later that he has everything that he needs. But it's not the gift he's seeking, it's the giver's growth. And Paul actually alluded to this back in 15. He says, no one joined in me in giving and receiving. So what is Paul suggesting here? That if we're the giver, we're the one that actually profits? Well, when we place our faith in Christ, we begin this journey called sanctification. It's where the Christian begins to slowly, over time, and step by step, look more like Christ. Sometimes this is quick, sometimes this is slow. But this process is done over time with each decision that we face, whether that's to return evil for evil, whether it's to return impatient uh, when you're met with someone who's impatient with patience. We have opportunities to decide, are we going to choose what we believe is correct? Are we going to live a life that we think brings contentment? Or are we going to step into the identity that we've been given through Christ and live life his way? As selfish beings, we default to, the, to choosing ourselves and our own satisfaction. But when the believer chooses to give and to move forward on this journey of sanctification, each step we move closer to Christ, we grow. And this is done through giving, giving ourselves, giving our time. All of these things move us more towards Christ. Recently, I had someone say that uh, they had a really difficult time getting out of bed to come up or to get to church and serve. Um, and I felt that uh, entirely. Um, and he said, actually, it, he thought of me, um, and I don't say this to boast, uh, but that I serve often on Sundays and that I'm often here before he is and after he leaves. And in that moment, I wanted to make clear, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult to serve. We feel 
a sacrifice. We'll talk about it more later down. But when we serve to give something is to lose something. We, we should feel that in our lives. But after we die to ourselves time and time again, and we step further down this road of sanctification, there's good news. It becomes easier because we are able to taste and see that Christ's plan for our lives actually provides fulfillment and contentment that our own standards can't match. If we stay in bed or if we choose not to text that person, every time we take a step more towards Christ, we live life fuller than what our own desires would allow. And when we give our time, we're serving and we're actively putting others' needs before our own. And this, we give ourselves and we're opening ourselves up to new relationships when we share ourselves with one another. And if we give financially, it's a tangible way that we can bring about someone's needs over our own. Paul continues in verse 18, he says, I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having supplied, having received from Ephroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So as earlier, Paul said he's found his contentment in Christ and that God has supplied all of his needs through the church body. And if you've read the Torah or the first five books of the Bible, you'll see these, this language all through it. An acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. We saw it in Exodus as we read through that book. It seems odd that Paul would choose to describe the gift that's given here with those terms, but I think it's a very specific choice to use those words. We too are called to offer burnt offerings, acceptable sacrifices pleasing to God. I'm going to read from Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, the good, the acceptable, and perfect. If we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, dying to our old ways, we begin this process of being transformed into a new creation. Another way to think about it is in Matthew 16. Jesus tells his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Church family and believers, I would like us to think about the last time that we have actually stepped out in self-denial for someone else. Oftentimes, maybe it's something that's scheduled or it's just a spur-of-the-moment thing. But when's the last time we actually have denied ourselves of something good for the betterment of others? I think it's a call that the Christian's called to, and I pray that that would be a mark of Gospel Community Church. Romans 8.13 says, For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And in the Old Testament, these sacrifices required death. We're still talking about the fragrant aroma and the, the spiritual sacrifices uh, up in verse uh, 18. But in order for there to be a burnt offering that created the smoke that then rose up to the heavens for the fragrant offering, something must die. There had to be a life that was given, and there had to be a forsaking of that life, that it was consumed by the fire. It's the life of the believer today that through self-denial, our old self is put to death. 
an offering to God. Colossians 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. How can the believer do this? It, doesn't sound, it sounds counterintuitive, opposite of the world, that we would give our lives to then gain. Isn't our life all about me and my happiness? Let's look at what Paul says next in verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to God our Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We must be careful not to interpret this verse incorrectly. It would be easy to preach that we can look that God will supply all of our needs and believe that if we just believe enough or if we have enough faith, life will be cozy and roses. But we always read scripture in context, and I would advise never reading a single verse, but read it in its context. Earlier in chapter 4, Paul lays out that he finds contentment in all things. Verse 12, he says, uh, chapter 4, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How can Paul say that our needs will be met when he just said above that he was in need? See, the need here is our greatest need. And unfortunately, it's the one that we are least reminded of. When I'm hungry, my stomach growls. When I need water, I become thirsty. But where is my physical mechanism to remind me that I need a Savior? There's an old poem that I think helps drive this point home. It says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have brought us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to our Creator. So God sent His Son to live the perfect life that we can't. Full self-denial, full love of others at His own expense, all the way into the cross where He willingly gave up His life so that we might all be reconciled, not only to God, but to one another, and to live life more abundantly. Ephesians 1 lays out a list of the beautiful things that we've been given as believers. In verse 1, it starts and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace, which he lavished upon us, and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him in heaven and things on earth. But it's a beautiful thing that God not only offers salvation for his people, but he does care about our needs. I think this is seen very clearly in the story of the paralytic. When you look at the gospel accounts where his friends brought him to Jesus and they opened the, 
the roof and they lower, Jesus, lower him down, their paralytic friend, in front of Jesus. And the first thing that Jesus does is he forgives his sins. He understood his need for a Savior, but at the same time, he heals his body. So we see that Christ not only cares about the salvation of his people, but he does care about the needs. If you continue through the gospel accounts, you see him offer food to 5,000 people who are there listening to him. We also read that he tells his disciples to look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the ground, and does God not care for them? How much more does he care for his people? So we have a beautiful Lord that not only offers salvation, but he also offers provision to his people. And all of this, as Paul says, is done to the glory of the Lord. As we continue to verse 21, it says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I like how one commentator puts it. He says, The exhortation to greet every saint reinforces the personal nature of Paul's communication and show that the truths in this letter were to be lived out by real people in the real world. It can be easy to remove ourselves from uh, maybe uh, an epistle or a letter that we, that we read. We think it applies to the church that it was given to only. But what we've read applies to our lives. As our sermon bumper that we watched, this is our blueprint, even today, of how we live our lives to be shaped by the gospel. We greet every saint in Christ Jesus, understanding that his kingdom is filled with people who only come through humbling themselves and understanding their personal need for a Savior. As we continue in that, that verse, it says, especially those of Caesar's household, this would have been amazing news to the church at this time, that those who are a part of the Roman Empire have heard the message of the gospel and they have forsaken their ties with the Romans to become a part of God's kingdom. It's an encouragement and a beautiful example of the kingdom of God that it doesn't have a type, only that one humbles themselves and recognizes their need for a Savior. And as we close today and we close our series in Philippians, we look at Paul's final words to this church. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you or with your spirit. I'd like to say, uh, please do not think that because I'm up here preaching this sermon that I have things figured out or that I'm more holier than you, or I'm better than you. Because we all, if we are in Christ, have his perfection and his holiness. It is only by his grace that we're part of his kingdom. It is only by the grace that we are part of his kingdom. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is Paul's final words to this church. After he's laid out what it looks like to live a life, he knows that they're not going to uphold this. We hate self-denial. I'll be the first to admit it. Yet God's grace is with our spirit. We all need this grace. We all fall. We'll fall today. But our God is faithful to forgive, and he extends grace. Paul's laid out the blueprint of, the Christ, of Christ, uh, the life of Christ in this letter. And I'd like to end by calling us to live out that call. Paul starting... His letter said, Imitate, emulate me. He's been an example of what it looks like to be a Christian. And I would say we do the same. The call that he gives to his church is the same that he's given to us today. So I'd like to recap 
uh, the challenges from before in closing. One, do something for someone this week out of a genuine place of self-denial, whether that was sending a letter or a text or grabbing meal. Maybe even make that something that's reoccurring. Hey, every Wednesday, we're going to grab lunch together for a month. It changes people's lives. It has mine, and I know it will people around us. Second, share your life with people. Open up. Talk about the hard things that are going on. It's refreshing, as I said. Life's difficult. And through that, we glorify God when we see the way that he answers prayers and he brings hope in some of the deepest, darkest times in life. And third, look for opportunities to die to yourself. Kids are a great example of this. Uh, they can be uh, ruthless sometimes <laughs> when, it, when it comes to self-denial. Uh, we have plans, we have schedules, and our control is completely lost. Uh, and it forces us to die to ourselves. Um, marriage is much the same. And I think these are two really big tools that God uses to make us move forward in our progression for sanctification. Because we're given chance and chance again to make that decision. Am I going to die to myself and live for what Christ has called me to do? Or am I going to let my own understanding of what it means to be happy and fulfilled and content rule my life? So at this point, uh, we'll pray and then we'll, we'll take communion. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word that we can open and we can reflect on the truths that you've laid out, Lord. I pray that as we have reflected on what it means to live a life of contentment in your gospel, Lord, that we would be moved to give, to give our time, ourselves, and our finances, Lord, to you uh, and to those around us. Thank you for the grace when we fail to do that, Lord, but I pray our, your spirit would work in our hearts to answer Paul's call, to live a life worthy of the gospel. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.